0: This is Why tune Shuffle.
1: Why tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives.
0: The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, and mm. play.
1: And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs.
0: Whenever I get introspective about life and about how, literally, you never know what's going to happen. It just reminds me that never take for granted what you have and never take for granted the time that you have here. Because it can end at any moment, and that just pushes me to keep trying. Welcome to Y-Tune Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your hosts, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield, and Hollywood's secret weapon, David Earl Waterman. This is Y-Tune Shuffle. This is yeah.
1: the show, Why tune Shuffle. My name is Maggie Mayfield. I'm the host of this show. And I'm so glad that I always get to see David Earl Waterman. Right here. My co-host, a.k.a. Hollywood's secret weapon. And <laughs> he's firing all the pistols today because he has brought us you, Andrew Solmson. <laughs>
2: well, it's a great pleasure to be here with both of you. I'm so mm. glad. Yes,
1: <laughs> this is my first time meeting you. And you and Dave have actually been friends for a long time, it sounds like.
0: Well, we, we've been what Sarah Silverman referred to... Uh, years ago, she was and I were in a conversation. And she goes, you know, I have a lot of familiar strangers in my life, and I wouldn't categorize Andrew as a familiar stranger. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's more of an acquaintance, but I, I know very little about you, and that's why I thought it would be great to bring you on the show, because when I do find myself in the company of Andrew, it's usually in some sort of a performance mode, okay. and he's usually performing. And, and I'm watching? fascinated. I'm watching. Sometimes I'm part of a show that Andrew is also mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. The first conversation I had with Andrew
1: uh-huh.
0: was in one of those moments where a bunch of comics and actors are kind of milling around and really not using their filter so much, maybe. <laughs> and uh, I mean, and why would they? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, comics, yeah. whatever. And and Andrew and I struck up a conversation that had to do with Andrew being accosted by a meth addict. And do you remember? Oh, yeah, vividly. Yeah. Well, can we start with that? This mm. was the first, this was my introduction to Andrew Salzman.
2: I mean, the story is fairly, It's it happened about, I guess now almost 13 years ago, mm-hmm. July 17th, 2004. I was going to the improv at 6.30 on a Saturday. I had bought a Happy Meal at a McDonald's uh, on Victory. I had just been to Fry's indulging my inner and outer nerd. And I loved, at that point, a happy meal because it was just the right amount of food for a snack. And I would have something left over to play with besides my shame. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, so true. But so I had to stop short on Laurel Canyon. I was going over Laurel Canyon heading into West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to stop short on the valley side of the hill. And the cheeseburger fell onto the floor And so I pulled off onto Mulholland and then immediately onto a little side street called Mulholland Terrace. And I know that street fairly well because I had a couple of computer consulting clients up there. It's right there at that intersection of Mulholland and Laurel Canyon. And I pulled into a little turnaround and uh, was just sort of cleaning up my car. And I had opened the driver's side door. And when I did that, just so I could lean the other way to grab the stuff off the floor – there was a guy behind the gate of his house that fronted on this little turnaround, and I could see him through the gate, and he was shirtless and spraying himself with a giant garden hose, mm-hmm. like just right in the face, like this, you know, just, like that, right in the face. Mm-hmm. You know, 6.30 on a hot day, I didn't really think much of it. Guy, do what he – wants to do at his house, you know? Right. And then he started arcing the water up over his gate and into the open door of my car.
1: No! <laughs>
2: Again, I thought it was an accident. What makes you think somebody's doing that on purpose? So I moved. I moved along the road a little ways, and he followed me along his property line and kept spraying water in my car. <laughs> and
0: Totally intentional.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. now you know it's intentional. You know. Yeah. And so I said something witty like, hey, quit spraying water in my car. <laughs> and... <laughs> He came out of his gate, just started running at me, and at this point, I thought we were still about to have words, but he grabbed me by the shirt and started to try to pull me out of the car. What? Now, at the time, I was about 400 pounds, so I had a little gravity on my side. He couldn't pull me out, but he jumped in through the open door and just got on top of me and started wailing on me.
1: Oh, my God. Mm -hmm, Yeah.
2: mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, What did you do? I started yelling, hey. Help punch back? Well, I, you know, I'm just trying to get him off of me mainly. Right, yeah. And I'm not a punch back kind of guy. I don't know. I kept thinking about it. Like, I had a leather man in my backpack next to me, mm-hmm. you know, that I can one hand open. It's a big knife. I kept thinking to myself, do I want to add a knife to this? Do I want to add a knife to this? And wow. I said, no. You what know?
0: What a good, I mean, yeah. that, talk about presence of mind, you yeah. know, because a yeah. lot of times, even with law enforcement and yeah. military, your, your weapon gets taken from you, buddy, and it's a whole...
2: It also, I think, would have escalated the situation in a way that would have made it hard for somebody to figure out who was responsible. So... He's wailing on me, and I'm yelling, help, call 911, help, call 911. He doesn't like that I'm yelling, so he put his hand over my nose and mouth, and I couldn't breathe. So I bit him. And he says, you bite me, I bite you. And he leans down and he bit my nose really hard. I don't know if you can see, I still have a scar.
1: Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, and he, it's where I realized things were really going south. And so I took my foot off the brake. The car it was still in gear. I didn't want to go down into and Blind because I thought I'd get hit, but... It seemed like a decent option at that point. Yeah. So I started to roll the car, and that really upset him, and he started hitting me harder. And I said, why are you doing this? I'm not hurting you. I'm not hurting you. And he kind of came to his senses and got off of me and went up the street where he had some previous beef with some people who lived up the street, and he broke into their house and started beating them up. What? But when he got off of me, I took my car around the corner, and I called the cops, and the fire department showed up first, and then the cops— and then, do you know Jason Nash? I do. Jason Nash lived on that block. I don't know if they still do or not, but he and his wife lived on that block, and his wife actually saw the ruckus in the other house Okay. and came down the street because she had seen all the cops, or she'd heard all the cops arriving, and I think she thought there may have been an accident or something. There's often accidents at that intersection, and, and she's yelling at the cops, you've got to come, you've got to come. This guy's breaking into a house. And so the cops all ran up the street, and they got him out of the house. And they brought me up the street to identify him. And then they put him in the ambulance they had called for me because there had been people in the house who had been hitting him with firewood that they had grabbed. Wow. I went and got treated. And then I, you know, I pressed charges and I sued him. He turned out to be this crazy rich guy full of drugs. Mm -hmm. Wow! I went through the whole thing with the legal system. And but a year later, I found out I had given myself a hernia trying to get him off of me mm. oh, wow. a ventral hernia which is right in the middle of my abdomen mm-hmm. I went to the doctor they said we want to operate on you but you're 400 pounds and we want you to lose some weight first and as a 400 pound guy you're always on the verge of losing weight so you, i said okay and then i didn't really think about it but it just kept getting worse and worse and i kept gaining weight by 2008 i was 525 pounds And by 2013, the hernia had gotten to the point where I was having episodes of pain that were lasting two, three days that I I couldn't leave the house. Wow. I finally got myself to an ER, and they did a CT scan, and this is now 2013. At this point, I'm about 480, and this very stern-looking blonde lady doctor comes into my room at the ER, and she says, Mr. Salmson, you have a very impressive hernia. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <And> <laughs> Very <laughs> impressive. There is nothing a fat guy likes more than impressing doctors. Trust me. Mm. And so they scheduled surgery, and they even as impressive as they thought it was from the CT scan, they had no idea when they opened me up. What they found was that about it was fifty percent of my small intestine, about eighty percent of my large intestine, had come out through this two-inch hole in my abdominal wall oh and was just God. resting under the skin. It was like a time bomb. I'd li- lived with that for at least five years, and it was ready to kill me at any minute. That so this,
0: was... this this experience, mm-hmm. uh, our, our introductory story, hey, what's going on with you? What, you know, I don't know how we got into that conversation. Well, it might have it,
2: just happened at that point. It, yeah. j-
0: it stuck with me, and today you sit with Maggie and I here on Y-Tune Shuffle, and what do you weigh right now? I'm
2: about two o five.
0: Looking great.
1: Yeah, you look fantastic. I mean, it, well, it, it's
0: been a journey. Yeah, it's been a journey. And and do you, do you conclusively believe that this incident, this like all of us sort of are aware of the fact that life is precious, and at any given moment something horrific could happen, and it indeed did to you. Yeah. And uh, and do you subscribe to the fact that? this is the silver lining to that? Or would it have happened? I think so. I mean,
2: I honestly don't know what would have happened if it hadn't. I was very lucky as a fat guy. I was very lucky as a person who was, I was once described by a doctor as malignantly obese. That's a a level above morbid. Uh, But I, my blood pressure was 120 over 80. My cholesterol was 160. I was sliding slowly towards diabetes, but it was not happening very quickly. And I was very lucky to have dodged most of the major health implications of obesity up to that point. But I was in a hospital getting operated on that was an 11-hour operation. Hmm. And it took me about six months to recover from. I mean, I just felt like I'd been hit by a truck for a long time.
1: At the second I met you on the street, I think we instantly connected about hiking and you yeah. we were sharing all about that. You'd say you go out four times a week or so? I go every day. Every day? Yeah. How many miles do you do?
2: I generally do between five and seven every day. Oh my, God. my personal best in a day right now is 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, I came to hiking as a solution to a very important problem to me, which was I kept getting heavier and heavier. And then I had this massive medical issue. And then after the big surgery that I talked about, I had many complications and more surgeries. I was in the hospital 18 times in two years. Mm-hmm. And I got down to about 340 after all of this. And I got some hubris in me. I thought, well, I can see 200 from here. And then I gained 60 pounds back. And I got scared. I got really scared that it was going to go back the way it was. And so I decided to have the sleeve gastrectomy surgery. And that was a huge decision for me. It was something that had always terrified me. You know, people had been talking to me about it for 15 years, some sort of bariatric surgery. At that point, it seemed like the only option I had. So I committed to it and I did it. And then I got home from the hospital and I was like, well, that was a huge decision, but it doesn't matter unless I keep supporting it with more decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I started going to Runyon Canyon. And at that point I was 400 pounds and I went up that east trail and I got to those steps and I just said, I can't do that. And I turned around and went home. And the next day I made a really important decision is I went back. And then I looked at those stairs and I said, I'm going. I started climbing up that steep part, and you know, it places on my hands and knees because I just couldn't do it. And there was this older Israeli guy behind me, clapping his hands and going "Bravo, bravo, bravo," Ugh. and I just hated that guy so much. Yeah. Uh, and uh, whether or not he knows it, he in the end maybe that was what got me to the top of the hill. I got up to the top, and it felt so good. Yeah. The last time I had been at the top of Runyon Canyon was with Maria Bamford. Uh, She ran an open mic at the top of Running Canyon for about six weeks in 2003.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is is that right? Yeah.
2: Is that the funniest thing? She brought a big megaphone, like a – like a, not like a not, – not a powered one, but like one you'd use for cheerleading, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh <laughs> right, right. And uh, – A rah,
0: rah, rah, sis, boom, bah yeah, type Yeah, of... exactly. Oh, my gosh.
2: And that was the only thing that had gotten me to the top of that hill before was the opportunity to perform. <laughs> so oh, wow. <laughs>
0: in three, in 2003. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jeez, yeah. Andrew.
2: Maria was – she's still the best. You Isn't know? she? Yeah. yeah. And so I just kept going back. And that when Runyon closed for maintenance, I found this website modernhiker.com, dot com and uh Found some alternatives to Runyon. There's a little hill that I like a lot called Nichols Canyon. Oh, yeah. I know it's called the Trebek Open Space, I think, if you look at it. And is
0: is uh, ModernHiker.com just Southern California or is that –
2: He has stuff from all over wherever he goes, but oh, okay. he mainly goes in Southern California. Okay. Uh, the guy who runs the site, Casey Schreiner, is also known to all of us as a lead judge on Guy Branham's talk show, The Game Show. He was a writer on G4, mm-hmm. uh, Attack of the Show, which is where I think he and Guy met in mm-hmm. – it was just a, a really powerful resource. It showed me places I could go. And mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it was very well organized. It showed you how to get there, how to park, how to, what the trail looks like with pictures and things like that. So it was really a very effective tool for me. And, and I just kept going. I just kept going. And now I go every day. Cool. Yeah. And I always tell people that the sleeve changed my relationship with food, but it's the hiking that changed me. It's a meditative space. It's time where you're not really thinking about anything else but just putting one foot in front of the other. And right.
1: the power of positive thinking. There are days, because I'm a, an avid runner, I like to go running mm. three, four times a week um, and then add hiking and what, on top of that. And there are days where I'm like, I don't want to do this. Why am I going out? And just something about like thinking. I can do this. I can run when so many people can't. I remember the first time I was able to run, I was pregnant when I was 24. And after I had my baby, the doctors were like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: six weeks, don't move, don't do anything. And they don't tell you how hard recovery is. But I remember the first time after those six weeks when I was able to run, I was really it was really short. It was like not even a mile, but I was so happy. I was like, for all the women who can't run. <laughs> and I did it and just one foot in front of the other. And there's mm-hmm. something just so powerful about when you're finished and you're like, I did that. Well, now I can do more things. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: that's it was it was very meaningful for me for a lot of reasons. And one is I'm a guy who pays attention mm-hmm. and there's so much to see. Up yes. You know, I hmm. um I started out just sort of trying to figure out what all the plant life I was looking at is. and then I'd see these crazy lizards rolling around. Yeah. And then I've started now doing I see hawks all the time. And the hawks I find very meaningful. I really love seeing them. The mm-hmm. red tails that that sort of populate the L.A. parks. Mm-hmm. And the other day I had this amazing experience where I was on a ridge line behind Mount Hollywood in Griffith Park, and there was a red tail. Just they call it kiting. He's hovering in the breeze. He's mm-hmm. he's staying still in relation to the ground, mm-hmm. and but he's constantly moving his wings and adjusting. But his head stays still, and he's looking for prey.
0: Mm-hmm. But he was ten feet from me. You posted that. Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. That, I mean, I'm surprised you're not winning some Pulitzer. I mean, that, that was a grab. <laughs> this is an amazing thing. The video's
2: video on YouTube. Yeah. So he was like 10 feet from me, and he's just ignoring me. And I was just, I've never been happier to be ignored feet. in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And then he got down even closer. He was about five feet from me. And then he spotted what he was looking for, and he just took off, and I caught a little bit of video at the end where he's got what it was he was catching. You gotta mm-hmm. see this Maggie. Yeah. It's pretty phenomenal. That's great. It's on YouTube under my last name. Okay. YouTube.com slash Psalms.
1: Songs? Man, <laughs> you've got some interesting ones. I, I cannot mean, wait for this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Song number one. Sometimes the light don't shine Sometimes the light don't shine What? Wow. Sometimes the light don't shine. Sometimes the
0: light don't shine. Mm-hmm. Rehabilitated. Some say the only
1: way to ease the pain is getting down and pray. Nothing no bully, no teacher for me. I got no faith in no fantasy. Mm-hmm. too many, went blind too long. So many mornings already gone wrong. baby. so long So who is this? That song,
2: <clears throat> yeah, that song is by a, a British band called Alabama Three. Mm-hmm. And they're probably most well known in the United States as the people who did Woke Up This Morning, the theme from The Sopranos. Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. But that song is on the same album, uh, which is called Exile on Cold Harbor Lane. Mm-hmm. And they're these three tall, skinny, white British guys from Brixton who think that they're Baptist Holy Roller preachers from Alabama. <laughs> uh-huh. and they call themselves Reverend D. Wayne Love and things like that. Oh. I mean, it, and but that particular song is called Rehab. It's a very knowing and pragmatic song. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes the light don't shine. That's the time you got to open your eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's a song that I've come back to in my life over and over again when I need to make a change and when I need to make a decision that's going to be good for me. I have a friend from work a long time ago, and she said an incredibly valuable thing to me. Just sort of off the cuff, she said, most unhappiness results from confusing what we want with what we want right now.
1: Oh. That's going to sit. I'm going to think about that.
2: Isn't that an amazing thing? Yeah. Yeah. And she ran triathlons, this one. Okay. Yeah. That song is, you know, the lyrics are so amazing. He's talking about how he doesn't need a guru. He doesn't need God. He needs change. Mm -hmm. And the only way to make that happen is to look inside.
1: Do you remember who introduced you to the song?
2: I had heard Woke Up This Morning on 120 Minutes. They played it like once or twice. And I fell in love with the band. And then... That song really spoke to me from the album. Mm-hmm. Um, did
1: you hear this before the incident with the garden hose?
2: Oh, I don't know. To be honest, I have to. I think it's a '90s song. So okay. yeah, I think I heard. I mean, when did The Sopranos first start? Because I heard it a couple of years before that. You know? Oh,
0: you were aware of this band before? Yeah, oh, yeah,
2: yeah. Because I, I,
1: <laughs> I knew them when. Well,
0: yeah,
2: <laughs> I was pretty religious about watching 120 minutes on mm-hmm. MTV, mm-hmm. and what I would do is I would videotape it. And the songs I liked, I would dub down to audio cassette. I made these, you know, mixtapes, <laughs> yeah. and I do custom art for them I've and everything. What happened
0: to the mixtapes?
1: Yeah. I have
2: them still. Oh, you did. Yeah, you, yeah. How do
1: you play them?
2: You know, I went on Spotify and just found some of the songs that made the same. M- yeah, yeah, made the same sort of mixes. I have mixes on my Spotify called "Climb" and "Glide" and. Oh, cool. Uh, there's one particular mix called 120 Minutes Tapes, which is most of the songs from those tapes. Okay. yeah, yeah.
1: That's cool. Quite an
0: avid yeah. music collection yeah. and yeah. connection, too.
2: Yeah. yeah. I guess
1: what I'm just trying to wonder is, you know, you said that this helps you make important decisions or helps you make the, the best decision for you. Mm-hmm. What was maybe that first decision you were trying to – like maybe college or girlfriend stuff
2: or – This this song in particular has always spoken to me on the subject of food and eating. Okay. I mean, I was 525 pounds. Yeah. And you don't get to that point unless you eat to and past the point of pain over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of came to this thinking that a couple of days ago on one of my hikes, I just sort of was thinking about it. I had a, a kind of cancer of the appetite. My feedback system was broken. Whatever it was that says you're full, you don't need more food didn't work. And uh and the surgery has been the most freeing thing in a way because my my thoughts were always dominated by food. What am I going to eat next? What am I going to put in my mouth next? And since the surgery, that feeling has been lifted in a very strong way. Like I still yeah. have the psychological aspects of that addiction if you want to call it that, but it was the physical sort of wind I was sailing against where I was always hungry all the time yeah. is gone.
1: Mark Marin talks about that a lot in his podcast WTF about the food addiction, and mm-hmm. he's like, you can be addicted to cigarettes and quit, and you can be addicted to alcohol and quit, and just stay away from it. But food, that's hard because you have to eat to live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that you ha- it's
0: a vital resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's
1: but at personal. the same
2: time, every time you put something in your mouth, you have a sense of whether it's a good decision or a bad decision. Mm-hmm. You're not fooling yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you can ignore what you know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You yeah. can say that the momentary. I'm just
1: thinking of all that Thai food I ate last. <laughs>
2: <laughs> for me, it was junk food. I, yeah. I ate a lot of fast food. It was fast. It was yeah. easy. I didn't have to get out of the car. And if you eat it every day, it tastes good. What's yeah. a typical
0: menu and a typical day for you, Andrew? For for me right now, yeah. And I'm asking because I mean I'm fortunate. I but hmm. I, I have a very large, and my doctor told me your midsection is too big, mm-hmm. I, and and I I would like to get it if you. I'm not sucking it in. I'm standing up right now, listeners. Oh, stop it! But that's real. That's that's yeah. that's real. Yeah. If I didn't suck it in, I've, I've got a pot belly. Yeah. So in in any event, you're, well, you're I maybe.
2: mean, the surgery does change dramatically the way
0: you eat by virtue of it being life threatening. Well, life-threatening.
2: well the, the 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 sleeve gastrectomy takes your stomach and reduces the volume to about fifteen percent of what it was before. It does stretch out over time and get a little bigger. When I first sort of started eating after the surgery, I could eat half a scrambled egg. But what I eat now mainly is two, 300 calories at a time, mostly protein, a little bit of vegetable and fruit. And I do that six or seven times a day.
0: What, what yeah. What would be a plate? What would be a, a I start plate every, number three, for example? Well, I
2: start every day the same way. I have four ounces of cottage cheese and two whole wheat crackers. And it is really frightening how much I look forward to it. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, you know, that's my breakfast, and then through the day, I will have, you know, cheese and crackers or a cheese stick or a protein bar or a little bit of beef jerky. Oh, okay. Or, yeah, uh, that's not terrible. Yeah, and then uh, – Coffee, a coffee drinker? I have one or two cups a day. Not always, but uh, I don't mind a cup in the morning. I make it with my coffee I'll let you cheese. continue filling out the form, sir, and we'll mm-hmm. see you in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, all right.
2: Yeah, and then um, – you know, I pack snacks with me for my hikes. Mm-hmm. I do try to – again, it's one of those things you kind of stay on top of because you – hydration is the other thing. Mm-hmm. I got one of those hydration packs. So the Camelbacks? So that, yeah, yes. yeah. It's not a Camelback, but it's like that. And, yeah, similar. And uh, Because so I can cool. only drink about six ounces of fluid at a time. So mm-hmm. I, I have to really stay on top of getting water mm-hmm. in me if I'm out in the hike, on a hike in the heat. The 12-mile day that I was talking about, I went through four liters of water. Wow. But that's the one thing I think I really, really miss – from the old days before I had the surgery, the only thing I can really say I miss is that feeling of pouring a quart of cold beer or Gatorade mm-hmm. into you. That I can't do anymore. But the rest is so good. Uh, yeah. you know, I'm not worried about it. I just don't care about food the same way. It's just not – I could take or leave cigarettes. I could take or leave alcohol. I could take or leave drugs. I just didn't care about them the same way I cared about food, and now I, I don't.
1: And that takes a lot of – emotional work too, I think.
2: But the mind-body thing is there. I'm firmly convinced, and it was the surgery that really helped me with that, the first big surgery. When they put all that stuff back inside me, it wasn't like there was a hole waiting for it. They packed me tight like a drum. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that made my stomach smaller and compressed it, and I lost 100 pounds right away, Mm -hmm. like in about eight months. And then I had this big apron of tissue, and that turned out to be a really big problem. I had horrible infections and ulcers and things like that, and they had to do more surgery. And I had something called a paniculectomy where they cut 42 pounds off my midsection. It is, like all addictions, I think, cunning. What is it? Cunning, baffling, and powerful. powerful. But food is, to some extent, a little different because of what you said. You have to eat. Uh, You can't just cut it out of your life. But you can change the way you eat. And for me, what was so powerful about the The surgery was – the first surgery was that it showed me that there was a physical aspect to what was happening. Mm -hmm. I lost all that weight right away. And then as my stomach loosened up because I had lost so much weight, the appetite returned. And that was something that told me that, yes, the sleeve is the right surgery for me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't want to make you feel like we need to continue talking about this. And it. I mean it sounds like it's a really big, important part of your life, but I know – you know, most people, we all have layers. So if mm. you don't feel comfortable, no, no, please. I feel like, you know, this is Hollywood and we're all so obsessed with the way that we look or present ourselves. Absolutely. And so but I just don't
2: been such an education because yeah. I am now a 50-year-old white guy. Mm-hmm. I am, I am, I've I become invisible mm-hmm. in ways that I was never when I was 500 pounds. When you're 500 pounds and you walk in a room, everybody's got something to say about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to say that it gave me a particular insight into what it's like to be a woman. Everybody feels entitled to comment on your physicality in some mm-hmm.
1: way. Did it make you feel like you had to be the funny guy?
2: It made me feel like I had to be the smart guy. One of the things I realized on one of my hikes was how much of my personality was developed in opposition to people's stereotypes of fat people.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm painfully aware of personal hygiene. You know, I don't want to be the smelly fat guy. I was, sure. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all of those kinds of things. And people's ideas of fat people as somehow slovenly or a slobby or, or lacking will. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and my argument to that is that you have to be incredibly... Incredibly strong to be 500 pounds. You have no idea. Interesting. And what I've learned how to do is to aim that strength in a different direction. I'm just an average white guy now. I just walk in someplace and nobody notices. I just, I I used, I joke about it. You know, I, I think I'm going to start stealing stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Because. you know, nobody's paying attention anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and that's for someone who does crave and need attention, as most performers do. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing to deal with, too.
1: Shall we uh, dig into song number two?
2: Sure. Oh, this is fun.
1: has kind of like an Irish rock feeling to
2: it. This is a band called The Levelers. Uh-huh. Um, they're well-known in England. They're, a, they're sort of like a combination of, I don't know, The Clash and uh, yeah, the kind of Celtic thing that you talked about. They're, yeah. They play a lot of, like, they're punkers. They, I mean, really, they, they really are very sort of, you know, very lefty liberal people, and they, they play a lot of squats and things like that. They're famous for it. and mm-hmm. mm. The song is called One Way. And it, it, there's one way of life, and that's your own. That's the the <gasps> lyric. My father, when I was younger, took me up on the hill. It's this magic song that pushes me forward into a very sort of motivated place.
1: Is this on one of your playlists? Yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's on my climb playlist. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the thing I remember so vividly about this song, I'd always loved this song, and then I went to the WOMAD music festival with Peter Gabriel, uh, and I guess wait, I you say, went
1: with Peter Gabriel? Or Peter Gabriel was performing. He
2: was performing. Oh, I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, he put together a great big festival, and there was uh, called WOMAD. I think it was World Music something, and it was him and Arrested Development and Midnight Oil.
1: Was this over in the U.K.?
2: No, this was – I went to it at Meriwether Post Pavilion outside Washington, D.C. It was, I think, mid-90s, I want to say, like 95, 96, Mm -hmm. and there were just a lot of wonderful bands on it. And there was a second stage with the Levelers. Oh, cool. And I knew about this song, and I loved this song, and then I went to the – And it's the most sort of – I mean I I hesitate to use this word because it has maybe the wrong connotation. But it was a kind of orgiastic experience. There was a thousand people in front of this stage and we were bouncing up and down as one person. Yeah, Mm. It was the most incredibly connecting and powerful musical experience. And they had some guy out there like dressed like he was all – in fluorescent colors and playing a didgeridoo. And, and it was just, it was, (laughs) you know, it was very, it was, you know, sort of shamanistic in its own weird way. But the song itself just means so much to me because it's just about find your way and do it. You know, it's a, it's, there's one way of life, and that's your own.
1: Wow, that's really I like that.
0: Yeah, good stuff,
2: Andrew. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: good stuff. I was living cool. in Boston. Sorry, yeah. my roommate, musician Dan Shaw, went to see that tour. Uh-huh. It was an indoor venue that he saw it in, and Peter Gabriel had set a light way back that when he came on stage and began performing, the light just encapsulated only his head and face, mm-hmm. and it was the most hypnotic. Mm-hmm. There was. Do you remember that shot? Did they do that? I don't remember that. What I
2: remember is very vividly from a previous concert on the security tour. There's a song on security called San Jacinto Uh that I I really love. I really love. I didn't put it on the list, but it's an amazing song. Mm. And there's a line in the song where he says, I hold the line, the line of strength that pulls me through the fear. And he was bathed in this column of purple light. And when he came to that line, he shot his hand up, and he must have had a mirror or something on his palm because a beam of light played out from his hand onto the audience. Wow. And it was the most powerful moment. It was incredible. And I actually paid homage to it in my yearbook photo in high school. Oh, oh, wow. uh, <laughs> cool. uh, in in my high school, I went to this place called Sidwell Friends. It's a fancy private high school in, in Washington, D.C. It's where the Obama children went and have, are going. And it's, you know, it's this weird kind of... Dichotomy because it, it's the children of the rich and powerful, and mm-hmm. all the entitlement and, and everything that that presents. There were smart kids and rich kids and smart rich kids, and I was a smart kid. And it taught me a lot of things, including a class rage that stayed with me to this day. Mm-hmm. And you got a half a page of the yearbook to do with whatever you wanted. And so I borrowed the laser from the physics lab. Uh-huh. This was at a time when not everybody had a laser pointer, it was a $600 quarter milliwatt laser, uh-huh. right? <laughs> and I taped mirrors to my palms and I bounced the laser through, and and then I had somebody clap erasers over my head so the chalk dust would make the beam of light show. And then my friend took a picture, and then that was my quote underneath it. I hold the line, the line of strength that pulls me through the fear.
1: Wow. And
2: I was a very intense young man. Yeah. (laughs) So
1: you were a smart kid in high school? Yeah. What were your friends like?
2: You know, I, I floated a lot. Between the cliques, I I was never really part of any one clique. I Mm -hmm. was a floater. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any particularly intense friendships in high school, I think. But they were, you know, there was the the kids who played diplomacy. And then there was the, I was on the It's Academic team, which is sort of like College Bowl. Uh And those kids I was pretty close to. But, you know, it's Sidwell, so everybody's too smart for their own good. It's a graduating class of 100. Six went to, I think, eight went to Harvard. Six went to Yale. Wow. It's that kind of place. Right. Yeah. So but you like... My my real friends in high school were actually on the grounds crew. I shared a love of motorcycles with a particular guy named Steve. What?
1: And
2: when I was senior year in high school I bought a, a Honda Hawk four hundred. Nice. Did and you that... rev
1: the engine really loud? Were you one of those? No,
2: no. I hate loud pipes. <laughs> Some the motorcycle people will tell you loud pipes save lives, but I think they annoy more people than they save. But mm-hmm.
1: um, only at seven thirty in the morning when yeah. they pull up to the Seven Eleven across the street from my apartment. <laughs> Just saying, a <Some> very specific <laughs> example.
2: <laughs> uh, but my senior project actually rebuilt the top end on my Honda. Wow! In the maintenance shop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, had all these guys helping me out. And Steve was – he had a Honda, like a Silver Wing, and and we would go riding together and stuff. He was a real nice guy. Yeah. And because it's Sidwell, he lived with the Mondales. He lived with Walter and Eleanor Mondale.
0: Oh my God. Like a I, guest house? Me, I so, really, yeah. yeah. I don't know. He was like the vice ride. president of the uh, Carter administration, right?
2: Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah. But it. this was after that. Mm-hmm. But, sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: So do you still ride?
2: No. I stopped riding about – when I was about 30. I had a Goldwing at that point, a big – touring motorcycle I is, that a, to, is that a harley no it's a honda oh, okay. it's a flat four touring bike with you know it's like you see mom and pop on mm-hmm. on the highway with the big t- fairing big with fairing. the
1: windshield yeah in and
2: saddlebags and a trunk mm, and right, everything right, right. like that i had bought it with the idea that me and my then girlfriend would do some two-up touring and then we broke up six months later and i still had the motorcycle Dang so. it. Yeah. but then i dumped the bike when i was about 30 in a corner on some sand and and i just never felt Right, afterwards? Sure. There's a song, again, not on the list, but a song I love called I'm an Adult Now by Mm -hmm. a group called The Pursuit of Happiness. They're a Canadian group. There's a line in it. He says, uh, can't take drugs anymore, can't afford any artificial joy. Besides, what if I wind up dead in a ditch like some cheese-eating high school boy? Wow. And and that was – that was something that informed my choice at 30s to stop riding. I I'm think. an adult yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know it. <laughs> I yeah. love that. Jam. It's a great
1: song. So it's not like you were seriously hurt. It just sounds like you
0: yeah. kind of laid it down. I yeah. did the same thing on Victory and Sepulveda with my 150 Vespa, and, mm-hmm. I, and that was the last day I rode that bike.
2: It just – yeah. and especially – Sand. Yeah, yeah. Now here in L.A. with everybody looking at their phones, I just can't see being on a bike right now. I ride a bicycle. I signed up for the West Hollywood bike share program. Yeah. It's a great deal. It's 99 bucks a year and there's a bike on every corner you can just grab and use whenever you want up to an hour, half a day.
1: An and, hour and a half? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh.
2: It's the idea is that you use it to commute or to run a quick errand or something like that in West Hollywood. Oh, I see. I started riding to Runyon Canyon. I, it just felt weird to drive to my hike.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I get that.
2: Yeah, Uh Especially when it's that close. Mm-hmm. And so I started riding a bike. I, it scares the piss out of me. Uh, Even riding a bicycle? Just in L.A. traffic. It's oh, just yeah. the worst. You can't ride on the sidewalk because you're going to hit some pedestrian. You can't ride in the street because somebody's going to hit you. It's. I found some routes that are sort of not very well traveled that I can s- feel safe on. But it just riding on Santa Monica Boulevard really scared me. It's hairy. Yeah. yeah. But what it does do that's very interesting for me is that it shows – how incredibly parking that just having a car and having to park it distorts your entire
0: life right you know, informs <laughs> your entire life i mean it distorts and i mean it, we're so reliant absolutely mm. that's why i have the bike rack on the on because the, anytime i can use my little escape pod bicycle mm-hmm. to avoid even valet parking which annoys me i'm like i'm going to spend all this money and 20 bucks i loathe to spend money
2: i do not have to I wouldn't necessarily describe myself as cheap or penurious, but I – and so paying for parking really bugs me. Mm-hmm. And when I was 500 pounds, I could barely walk a block. It limited me in so many ways. I average 20,000 steps a day now, right? Wow. Yeah, that's great. When I was 500 pounds, I would say I probably got 500 steps. That was my ration of steps for the day, and that's how far I could move. Mm-hmm. And so if I couldn't park within a block of the place, I, I wouldn't go. It was so limiting. And now I can do so many more things just because I can walk three blocks from where I parked. It's such a huge difference in my life. That's great. Yeah.
1: All right. How about song number three? Sure. Okay.
2: This is a song called Dave and and Cowboy by Boards of Canada.
1: It's really hard to pinpoint your musical taste.
2: (laughs) I like very mathematical music. I like stuff that has a progression that seems orderly, you know. Are you a Virgo? Yes. <laughs> Which means I hate astrology, yeah. but I have yeah. to admit that <laughs> it really
0: pegs me.
1: I too am a very Virgo. Very good.
0: Yeah. Very good. September ninth. Tenth. Anyway.
1: No oh,
0: wow. Hey, Light hey. hey. Tunes connection.
1: <laughs> this is cool.
2: The song is so cool for a number of reasons. One I'm waiting is for a, it to like drop. It, it gets there. Yeah.
1: The song is still so cool for a number of reasons.
2: Yeah. Um, first of all, it's a brilliant song. I love listening to it. It's a song that puts me in a very sort of reflective, peaceful frame of mind. And the video, which is playing behind you on your computer, is uh, the first half of it is footage of a man called Joseph Kittinger. Mm-hmm. In, uh, I think, 1960 or right around there. He was in the Air Force, and they were testing uh, these uh, high-altitude ejection seats. And so they needed to know if a man could survive a fall from 100,000 feet under a parachute. So they put Joseph Kittinger in a weather balloon with an open gondola (laughs) and sent him up 100,000 feet. And in this moment here, he just jumps. There it is. He literally—there's a moment in the video where you can—it's its past now, but he literally just stands up in this gondola
1: mm-hmm.
2: 100,000 feet over the earth and leaps. Mm-hmm. And it just—again, that speaks to me about, you know, taking that leap, about having some faith and keeping—and getting through that fear— to to go to where you want to go. Yeah. You know, and there's a there's a different video of him that I love where he's landed. He's he's fallen down. You know, he's, he's come down under this parachute and he's on the ground. And this other Air Force guy is coming over to collect him. Uh-huh. And the the Air Force, he's in his suit. You know, he's in this pressure suit underneath the, on the ground and they take his helmet off. And the other guy just kind of slaps him on the face and gives him a double bird. <laughs> and and he's just like, he's saying, F you for having the biggest balls I've ever seen. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's cool. Man. That's very cool. Very cool.
1: Do you feel like you have more courage in other areas of your life also?
2: Because of the weight loss? Or?
1: Yeah, I mean, you. it sounds like that was probably one of the biggest decisions you've ever made. Yeah. And going forward
2: now i don't think i've ever really lacked for confidence you know in in some weird way yeah. you know i the um i have as as described the confidence of a mediocre white man mm-hmm. i was once asked you know there was one of those things where you have to describe yourself in in six words Uh-huh. and i said seldom wrong but always sure <laughs> <laughs> and uh which i love because it does describe me and also because it's five words and i was it's gonna wrong. say it's only like
1: five <laughs> Words. I, I'm just as you're talking, yeah. I'm going, wait a minute. Wait, what's that all about? <laughs> That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, mm. mediocre white man. <laughs> uh, I like these songs so far. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. It's interesting that your choices aren't from the U.S. So far, well, there's two mm, mm. British bands, and then you said Canadian.
2: I don't know if Boards of Canada is actually from Canada. I think oh, okay. they're not from – I don't know where they're from.
1: Yeah, not, that, not that they all need to be U.S. – Artist, but yeah, it's and just, this and
2: artist that you're about to play is a British artist. This is Don Rose's.
1: Hey,
0: get it, back. get it, do
2: you know this song?
1: No, but it's cool.
2: It's called Fool's
0: Gold.
1: I've gotten a few of those. <laughs> Do you remember hearing this for the first time
2: I think probably 120 minutes okay yeah something on MTV yeah um, but uh, it's it's a nine minute song so we're obviously not gonna hear the whole of it uh. but uh, it is the best song for starting a walk yeah you know <laughs> it is like it's the first song on my playlist and it's the it's the one where like oh yeah we're going somewhere yeah yeah you're gonna you're gonna put your foot out fast, and you're just gonna keep going. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's I, good. I really like that. It just it's I've probably walked a hundred thousand steps to this song. Sure. Yeah.
1: Are you an only child?
2: No, I have a younger sister. Oh, that's right. You yeah, did say that. Yeah. I'm sorry.
1: Are you guys close? Yeah,
2: very close. Yeah. Is
1: she here in L.A.?
2: No, she's in New York. She's a professional photographer. She's a fine art and commercial photographer. She's very, very good at it. One of the things I'm always startled by, you know, I, I shouldn't be startled by it the way I am, but every time I look at her work, I'm like, oh, wow, she's got a great eye. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah she's, Continually
1: impressed. Yeah. Yeah.
2: She, uh, she does a lot of uh, music photography. She works a lot with Thievery Corporation, and she's just brilliant. I'm her biggest fan.
1: That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Do you go to New York often and hang out?
2: No, she comes here a bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, one of the limiting factors of being 500 pounds was that travel was so difficult. Sure. And it's only recently that I've been on airplanes where I didn't have to buy two seats.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah.
2: Huh. that's has to feel so good. It was really – it's been a big change. I went home the other day to D.C. to see my mom and, and my sister was there. And, and mm-hmm. just being able to do that was such a, a real gift. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. What
1: a – I'm just the oh, self-love too, and probably getting on and off that plane, and you're like, oh, just so grateful, I like I can do this.
2: You know, I mean, just I mean, being on an airplane as a fat guy is such a fraught environment. It's such mm-hmm. a, I mean, before I had to buy two seats, before they just said, okay, you got to buy two seats now. Mm-hmm. I was fat, mm-hmm. I was very fat, and mm-hmm. you could see people sighing or, you know, oh, yeah. rolling their eyes when you had to sit next to them, and. And, you know, my feeling on the matter is there's fat people and there's thin people and we've all played Tetris. Let's just get along. You know, know, and it's mortifying. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's one of the many sort of death of a thousand cuts indignities that we do to fat people in this country Mm -hmm. all over everywhere. And, Mm. you know, I became a student of chairs. I studied mechanical engineering in college, and I used to say that, that uh, I wouldn't ride roller coasters because I know how these things get designed, and I am more than two standard deviations away from the mean.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's just one of the great little victories. I, I talk about these weight loss achievements, like you get a like an achievement badge in a game. And for me, one of them was being able to sit in an outside chair at Starbucks because the outside chairs have arms yeah, and the inside chairs don't. Yeah. And the... Chair with arms is the natural enemy of the fat guy. If I wanted to sit outside at Starbucks i 'd have to go inside, pull a chair out, assume that people wouldn't think I was trying to steal a chair, and then i'd be sitting on the in the the outside chairs are lower, so if I was sitting with friends, I was always sitting higher than all of them you know and it's just one of those little things where you don't even like i I had to buy a car mm-hmm. I was four hundred and fifty pounds and I had to buy a car and there were cars I fit in, and cars I didn't just not having to worry about that like if I have to rent a car. Is there a car I'm going to be able to fit in there yeah I bought clothes at Target the other day yeah you know every store I bought clothes in for the last 30 years has had big or tall over the big and tall over the door yeah. and I know which one I am yeah. you know to be able to walk into a target I bought this t-shirt at Target the other day it's it's a stormtrooper from Star Wars and the Death Star but in the style of Starry Night by Van Gogh mm, uh, oh
1: yeah I know exactly what you're talking about yeah mm-hmm. and
2: it and it, I call it Starry Wars it's so funny. I'm not a huge Star Wars guy, but I'm definitely a sucker for a Van Gogh joke, you yeah, know. And yeah. and I, wa- I wear this shirt out sometimes and it never fa- I got three compliments on this shirt from TSA at Oakland the other day. Yeah, <laughs> oh, awesome. You know,
1: it's so interesting the things that you know we take for granted. So,
2: mm-hmm. see what's
0: what's Run next on.
1: Song number 5.
0: Oh, here we are. Hey, we're in the 80s now. <laughs> no 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 okay <laughs> this
2: is very consciously evoking the 80s okay this is LCD sound system
0: i was curious about this yeah, yeah. i was uh, yeah
1: CD sound system I get it Yeah It's like exactly what you'd think <laughs> a group with a name like that would play
2: Well he's a pretty brilliant guy this guy uh, and
1: Was uh, it just one man that does all yeah, the instruments? James something I can't okay. remember his
2: name but uh, It's
1: kind of like the postal service just one yeah, guy yeah. yeah
2: This song is called I Can Change mm-hmm. and it has that kind of it's a song that spoke to me at the end of a bad love affair mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, Who was the girl? I'm not I'm not going to say. Well, but how long did it last? Four months off and on. <laughs> I was 100% in. I was 110% in. And she kind of liked me a little when she was drunk and not so much when she was sober. Sure. Uh, so it was a complicated environment. Uh, um, oh, man. But there's a line in the song where he says, love is a murderer, love is a murderer, but if she calls tonight, everything is all right. Mm. Right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> The whole mood
2: changes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just it captured that sense of being in love with somebody who doesn't love you back.
1: Is it really t- better to have loved and lost than not loved at all?
2: Uh, I, I I just had a very interesting experience. Uh, the last woman I dated seriously before the surgery, I just found out that she got married. And the way I found out was because it was in vows in the New York Times. Oh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, Really? And did you
1: want her to tell you?
2: No, I just it's just a weird way to find out that uh-huh. she married the guy she met after you. Yeah. You know? And uh and that was another one where I was a hundred percent in and she was ambivalent and it kind of went back and forth. And and uh it was an interesting experience because I think that particular experience is what set in motion more than anything getting the surgery. She was somebody who had been through the surgery and was sort of further ahead in her path to a new life than I was, and I just wasn't ready. Yeah. And I think she was smart enough to figure that out. Yeah. And that pushed her, kept her from getting involved seriously, and I just felt like I'd met this perfect person for me. I really liked her a lot, and and that I wasn't ready, mm-hmm. and that really upset me. Dude. We had this magic first date where mm-hmm. everything was beautiful and wonderful, and we really connected. Yeah. And, uh, and I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I'm sort of going through it from the other side now, mm. which is for me the most attractive thing about somebody for the longest time was that they were attracted to me in some weird way. Tell it, and I like them. Tell it, I like them smart, funny, and sad. <laughs> and, <laughs> and oh uh, boy, uh, ah. speak, preach, yeah. and uh, it was uh, it was complicated. Um, that's and profound. Yeah. I like them because they like me. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I got on dating apps for a hot minute. I had my new body. I wanted to try it out, you know. And mm-hmm. I wrote a joke. I wrote a joke for my dating profile. I said, uh, I'm not thin, but I've lost 300 pounds and I'm losing more. Get in early and flip this house. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, –
1: did it get you some dates that way?
2: It, it got me a couple. Yeah. And uh, it turns out Los Angeles loves a real estate joke. And, That's, uh, funny. That's funny. And I had this experience recently where I, I met this woman and we went out on a few dates and we got to the point where we were sitting on the couch and I kissed her and I didn't want to do it again. And it didn't.
1: That's Okay. Yeah, that's totally okay.
2: Yeah, but that was that that was never okay before because the yeah. opportunities were so few and far between mm-hmm. that I, I I latched on to everybody who liked me even a little bit mm-hmm. as a with the desperation of a drowning man looking for a life preserver. Yeah, here's somebody who's going to make my life right. Yeah, you know, and it was I mean it was it was just such a fascinating experience to be on it from the other side to have somebody be really into me uh, and then not be in into them in return mm-hmm. and. You know, it certainly wised me up a lot as to how I've misbehaved in particular ways.
0: What a five and what a guy.
1: Hey, before we go into band or bar, do you want to do the listener story or do we do band in the bar first?
0: I think listener story. This is a very new segment for Mm -hmm. us, Andrew. It's uh, someone who's not with us but does listen to the show that wants to just kind of play along with Y-Tune Shuffle. Okay.
1: All right. So our listener of the week, his name is Justin from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, wrote in about this song. (laughs) You know this.
0: Getting a recognition laugh from Andrew, and I'm getting shivers. (laughs) Thank you, Justin. Andrew is holding up his lighter. (laughs) Here we go, baby. The all-time favorite encore song. (laughs)
1: Justin wrote into our email address at ytunesshuffle at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let it ride, baby. Let it ride.
1: <laughs> he says this song makes him think about a vacation to Myrtle Beach. One of the things that makes him think about this trip about 10 years ago, he met a girl while he was working in North Carolina who was training some people there. She was from Canada. They hit it off right away. And uh, after. After a while, they had kept in touch. She came back to visit North Carolina, so they took a road trip down to Myrtle Beach. And at one point, he says, I was being driven around drunk on Jägermeister while Freebird was playing on the radio, remarking about the, (laughs) quote-unquote, jets, he says, in the sky. Because there was an air show the next day, and there were a lot of fighter uh, planes practicing all sorts of their sweet tricks. So on the same trip they were at a small bar later that night and he tried to convince this three-man band to play Freebird and ended up paying them each $20 to play the song. Hey <laughs> life
0: grand. Yeah, I mean there's a big air, uh, I think Marine Air Station up there in North Carolina near Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Is that Oceana? I think I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure but I know That's I where would, the Navy
2: uh, fighter squadrons Navy. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So that is Freebird.
0: Justin, thank you very much thank for that. Thank you so uh, much. That is I our
2: listener story,
1: listener story of the Week from our Toon Squad brought to you by your name here.
2: I had the 45 <laughs> of Freebird. The 45? Which, which was a four minute edited version of the song because I couldn't afford the album. <laughs> <laughs> so I had the four minute version of
0: Freebird uh, Free that I listened to all the time. I got the live version on an album as mm. a gift. I remember being a little bit disappointed because it was very different than mm. what I was hearing on the radio. Yeah. You know. I was young and dumb. Makes me (laughs) think of my dad.
1: (laughs) That's about it.
0: Is it time? It's time. It's time for Band or Bar, brought to you exclusively by Your Name Here. The way the show works, Andrew, is that you and Maggie are going to be given a selection of different titles. They could be the name of a bar, Mm -hmm. or they could be the name of a band. Mm -hmm. And you simply have to guess or decide which one it is, and then, of course, I'll reveal it. The way that we set the, the game up is that each guest upon their departure, will give us a city or a state or somewhere for me to research and find three or four or seven or whatever I come up with, odd names that mm-hmm. you can guess from. You may be a ringer because yeah. it was College Park, Maryland Uh-oh. last week. Yeah, <laughs> That's Chad. where I went to school. Well, wow, there you go. It's, oh, last right. week's guest went too as well, yeah. Chad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Chad asked that we do uh, you know, College Park, Maryland. All right. So focus yourselves Considering your music knowledge and if you like music, chances are really good you've heard it in a bar, Mm -hmm. okay? If we're in Tacoma Park, Maryland, and on our agenda is Republic, are we going to go see a band or are we going to go have a couple beers? Republic is the first name. Is that a band name or a bar name?
1: So Washington, (laughs) D.C. I'm going to say
2: bar because there is a band called Republica. Okay. But uh, and there's
1: also a band named One Republic.
0: Oh, yeah. But I'm going to say bar. You're going to yeah, say I'm bar? I'm going to say bar also. Well, you would be at 6939 Laurel Ave in Tacoma Park, yeah, Maryland yeah. at Republic. It's a seafood bar. <laughs> One of the comments that I chose to rip off of the internet was, been back here a few times. First time I came for dinner. Dinner was a little eclectic. It was a decent meal. (laughs) What has me coming back over and over again is the Oyster Bar. So if you're in uh, Tacoma Park, Maryland, check out Republic. Uh, Moving right along. If you are headed out with some friends or maybe on your own and reindeer is uh, one of the stops you'll be making or part of your agenda, is reindeer a bar or a band? Oh,
1: my God, your face.
0: (laughs) I am going to say band. Reindeer? Andrew's f- going to say band? I feel like I've heard that name. Reindeer.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's hard. I'm going to go with a bar, only because I really want there to be like antlers on the wall.
0: Well, Reindeer, if you're a fan of MGMT or Sayer, yeah. Reindeer is a band. Reindeer, it's a psych pop gem with an undeniable propensity for kaleidoscope dance beats. <laughs> Rain, wow. Reindeer combine new wave elements with a new Baltimore standard. Electronic jump drum beats set the foundation for the expansive sound set forth by this vivacious quartet. Reindeer. I don't. Okay. I
1: feel like I know all those words you just said, but in that order, I'm like, what
0: is this? I know. I'm sort of like, <laughs> I'm not even knowing what I'm reading. <laughs> hey, you got to You guys up for Sun Club? Are you guys up for Sun Club? Let's, this weekend, let's yeah, go. Yeah, they go. have
1: an amazing Waldorf salad.
0: It's, oh, okay. Mm. So we, we're, we're going to a bar at Sun Club. I'll buy Sun Club as a restaurant. Well, or uh, bar. you better like music because <laughs> if you like Vampire Weekend or Animal Collective, Sun Clubs serve a brilliant amalgamation of various styles that swirl together into one cohesive and incredibly satisfying result. They carry a certain spontaneity that make their music inherently enjoyable. That's Sun Club, right
1: again tomorrow. like what what does that even mean
0: I don't know these are the it liner
1: like
2: notes ice cream. <laughs> there, was, there was a band called Sun 360 that I loved a lot uh-huh. yeah.
0: Yeah. let's talk about the public option <laughs> the public option <laughs> mm-hmm. we gonna rock out at the public option or are we gonna go listen to the public option?
1: I'm just going to say bar because I keep saying bar and it's wrong, so it's got to be right. I'm going to go
0: with bar, too. Well, if you're in Langdon Park at 1601 (laughs) Rhode Island Avenue, Northeast Washington, D.C., you'd be at the public auction. What an awesome spot, fans say. It's a little house that looks like it could be your grandma's. And they have delicious beer and a cool laid-back vibe. I sometimes go with a buddy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> wow, Yelp is amazing. Isn't it nice?
0: I'm down for Terrapin's Turf.
1: Terrapin's Turf? Terrapin's
0: Turf. I'm down. That's... You
1: guys down for Terrapin's Turf?
0: I'm going to say that's a bar. It has
2: to be a bar. They the... probably have the
0: Why? Best... Why would you say it's a bar? Because
2: University of Maryland, the 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 mascot is a Terrapin.
0: There's the ringer. I was afraid. I did not know that. See, mm-hmm. I was just because it had me kind of thinking. And you're right. It's uh, it's in College Park. That's the one that mm-hmm. really stood out to me at 44 10 Knox Road, have you been to Terrapin's Turf?
2: No, that that I think that post dates me because uh the bars I went to were called The Voo, short for Rendezvous Inn. Oh, The Voo. Mm. Yeah, and uh, you wore special Voo shoes to deal with the Voo goo. Oh, <laughs> oh
0: wow. uh
2: so
1: just like Nickelodeon gack.
2: Yeah, it was a that was a that bar was a mess. Nice. And uh uh and then I would go to the cellar. Mm. And then there was Santa Fe Cafe. I think that's where I did most of my drinking. There you go. Well,
0: Terrapin's Turf. Alive and Kicking, if you're there in that area now in College Park, this is one of the few places in College Park that offers a decent brunch menu, <laughs> ranging from eggs benedict to pancakes and steak and eggs. It's pretty legit. Well, now also, I'm hungry. And the bottomless
1: <laughs> mimosas. Yeah, 10 bucks, the yeah. bottomless mimosa.
0: Now All I'm hungry. Right. I didn't get my
2: cottage okay, cheese this okay. morning. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> Ghost Hotel. Band. Banned. Banned. Are you a fan of the new pornog- pornographers or the pains of being pure at heart? Then if you are, you're going to love Ghost Hotel. Ghost Hotel has an expansive varied take on bedroom pop. Shimmering guitars <laughs> take form over driving drum beats that vary between organic percussion and electronic-based rhythms that further fuel the inherent danciness of these tunes. Addictive melodies and sun-soaked male and female vocal harmonies propel Ghost Hotel's into their infectious musical territory. You're absolutely right. Go Who do these out. people
1: get to write their bios for them? Well
2: the thing, I mean they mentioned new pornographers, and that's that song you get what you give, which I really love, mm. and is actually on my 120 minutes playlist. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
0: Well done, well played. I think I got you on one. I got one or two. All,
1: you got me on all of them. I got
0: Magan all of them, and I, I didn't keep score. I think I, I missed one or two. That's Bander Bar. That's Bander Bar. Your job now, Andrew. Where are we going next week for Bander Bar? Let's go to, go Dublin, to- Ireland. Dublin, Ireland. Dublin, Ireland, Bander Bar. I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring that up on my.
1: Did you know that Dublin, Ireland, was the biggest city in the world? It's been Dublin for years. Oh <laughs>
0: well, Maggie's a comedian.
1: <laughs> That's like my favorite little kid joke.
0: <laughs> Do you
1: have it? <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've gone through your fave five, this mm-hmm. is one of my favorite parts of the show. Coming current to 2017, what's a guilty pleasure of yours that you're listening to right now? Maybe if your friends knew about it, they'd be like, "Really?"
2: Uh, On my climb playlist is a wonderful song. It is a mashup of Third Eye Blind's "Semi Charmed Life" and Carly Rae Jepsen's uh, "Call Me Maybe." Call me maybe. What? It is a perfect mashup. It is two <sighs> intense earworms that have mated and made a monster. Uh, I can't
1: like not know what this is.
0: How'd you come across this
2: one, man? I'm a big fan of mashups, and, and uh, yeah. this one just is brutal in how intensely it is addictive.
1: It's really well done.
2: Yeah, it's super good.
1: Oh, it's hard because I want to sing the semi term life, but she's. Going, baby. That's really cool. Thank mm. you for sharing that.
2: I like that song. Yeah, a lot. that's
1: good. Mm-hmm.
0: It's now time. Another segment in the show. Andrew, what was the very first concert you attended? And what was that day like and night?
1: Oh, he's laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I like like that that Uh, response. When
2: When I was in the seventh grade, I guess I would have been 12, all my friends were going to the Grateful Dead concert. No way. Whoa. And I was so desperate to go that I begged my dad to take me. And so we went off to the Capitol Center outside Washington, D.C., And we saw the Grateful Dead. This is back when you could smoke in places. Mm -hmm. And the Cap Center was filled with purple smoke just – you could barely see your hand in front of you. It was so thick with pot smoke. And we sat there and we listened to the Grateful Dead. And yeah. I was a big fan of Terrapin Station
0: at that point, I think. 78. Yeah. yeah. And they were at Barton Hall in my yeah. hometown of Ithaca two days before or two days after.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then the drum solo started, and the guy behind my dad took out a two foot bong and offered my dad a rip. And he was like, Andrew, we're going. <laughs> and so we left. Trucking. We're trucking Did so you didn't An see any there. of the music? No, no. But this was about two thirds of the way through the concert, oh, I see. which yeah. is okay. three hours at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, yeah. yeah. see a bunch yeah. of the day. Yeah, but I think my dad had had enough. At that point. He's like,
1: I'm already high. <laughs> contact. I, so it was just you and your dad?
2: Yeah, yeah. Not oh, fun. He was game. I was. I, I have to give him credit for being game. Yeah. Did you see friends from school and stuff? No, we just went. I, we never ran into my friends or anything. But. No,
1: but on Monday when you saw them, mm. you were like, I was there. I was there.
2: Yeah, yeah. For a little while.
1: That was very important. Well, cool. this has been really fun. Thank you so much, Andrew. Oh, it was a delight. Thank um, you so much for having me. Absolutely. If fans want to connect with you, is there a way we can find your corner of the internet?
2: The best thing to do would be to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is just my last name, Solmsen, S-O-L-M-S-S-E-N. Uh S-O-L-M-S-S-E-N. I've been on the internet for long enough that most of my things are Salmsen, except my Instagram, which is Andrew Solmson mm-hmm. And I post a lot of stuff from my hikes and stuff on Instagram. And so cool. uh, I use the hashtag 525 to life. It's a play on the idea of somebody to be, you know, sentenced to 25 to life or whatever. Yeah. Instead, I'm going the other way.
1: Congratulations Thanks, on on all of that stuff. And again, thank you for sharing your fave five and for taking time to. Oh, hang thank out with you so teams. much
2: for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you.